0: Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank Discussion with Passion on CJD 800. Coming up after 10.15, our LGBTQ panel joins us. We're going to talk about gender-affirming health care, also LGBT in the media. I don't know if you watched a couple of shows, uh, Disclosure Trans Lives on Screen, which was really quite fascinating uh, straight up another uh, another movie on Netflix uh, which was also interesting and the old guard which had some LGBTQ theme in there so we'll discuss that with our panelists after 1015 but first
1: calling's not the only way to connect the inbox is easy and always open at 514 800.
0: You may have noticed yesterday and Monday was a repeat performance of passion. I took a couple of days off just to uh, rest up. So there are some things left on the text board, which I want to share. Uh, so some people who didn't re- realize that this was uh, a repeat. Hi, Dr. Laurie. I am a straight married woman who has always found lesbian porn and gay men porn quite exciting. I find their body soft and sensual and very appealing. Erotica also turns me on. I've tried threesomes in the past, but they were disappointing and not as exciting as my fantasies about them. Love your show. Avid listener. Uh, that's from a, a, a female. And we ha- we did have a question about female porn from um, uh, straight women who watch lesbian porn and she was questioning if this says anything about her orientation which it does not. Uh, This one from yesterday or two days ago actually I'm pulling up to my home and we'll, we'll be getting out of the car but I heard what you're going to be talking about after on the youthful erectile dysfunction. I'm 28 years old I suffer from generalized anxiety disorder. I take medication for it. I use Cialis because sometimes it's hard to keep myself in the moment with my anxiety. I know I won't get to hear your response to this, but anyone else who's listening, I hope that you understand that this is a normal issue and it's nothing to be stigmatized. Sometimes life gets in the way of things. So I'm glad you you brought that up and, um, I forget what we were replaying or that we talked about, but you're, you, what you're talking about is um, performance anxiety in in younger men or erectile dysfunction in younger men and why we're seeing it. And it is very much related to uh, anxiety. So for a lot of younger people, one of the first things I look at when I see a young person who's having trouble um, is performance anxiety and their generalized their general level of anxiety. And I'm finding that um, I'm seeing far more anxiety in, in younger people, which of course is going to have an effect even in the bedroom. Medications to treat anxiety and depression have an impact as well on uh, on arousal, on uh, erection, on, on um, uh, ejaculation as well. So there is an impact on that and people do need to be aware of that. And of course, when you have a busy mind, especially an anxious mind and a worrying mind, sometimes it's very difficult to turn that off. And that's what you mean when you say life gets in the way. Yes, in stressful, more stressful moments of life, um, your anxiety could, could shoot up. And of course, that is going to have an impact on your uh, desire to have sex or your uh, difficulties with your erection. And this is what's happening now too, during COVID and during the pandemic, for people who are, who are already anxious to some degree, this has added another layer, layer of anxiety. And so they may find themselves not wanting to have sex or not thinking much about, uh, about sexuality. A big difference between fantasy and reality. In fantasy, you can jump from one thought immediately to another. Really not like that. And most important, how you feel after. Yes, in comparing your fantasies uh, versus what happens in real life. When you In your fantasies, you control everything. You are the director of your movie. In real life, you cannot control everything, especially when there are more than one person involved in there because you can't control for other people's uh, behaviors. You can't control for other people's feelings. You can't control even for your, you can't even anticipate your own feelings in, in, in that. You can imagine the sexual stuff, but you cannot account for everything in real life. And so those two things make quite a difference. Another question was, uh, is it true that females who were sexually abused when a child have little sex drive? So uh, that's also a good question. Uh, for years, I worked with uh, victims of uh, of childhood sexual trauma and helping them through their sexuality. Yes, there's an impact. Not always. It's not a given that there's going to be an impact on sexuality. It depends on many factors: who the abuser was, how severe, what was the response following that. Was there um, Was there therapy early on, etc. I, I mean, it's. You have to think about that, right? When you're, your uh, body is violated when you're young and can make very little sense of this, as you grow older, uh, it may uh, sh- bring up a lot of confusing feelings and uh, thoughts when it comes to uh, sexuality. So it can have an impact, but not always. It's not a, it, Again, it's not a given that someone who is molested younger will have uh, trouble sexually later there's far too many factors at play here to make that into a statement and plus it can be you know different types of sexual problems too so you could have somebody who yes their sex drive may be affected or you can have somebody who is aversive to sex or certain kinds of sex acts for example Uh, You can have uh, uh, people who have trouble letting go, so trouble with orgasm and feeling vulnerable, needing to be in control of of their sexuality could be another thing that can affect um, how they are as well. Uh, then I got this email, which by the way, you can email me anytime to laurie at DrLori.com. I find it increasingly frustrating that passion is only a one hour show. I appreciate all the information you pack in and all the messages you read and try to answer them all in the same hour. The service you provide to Montrealers is priceless. You have messages from all ages asking you important questions, and you always say no question is stupid. Your poet manages to squeeze in a thoughtful poem as well. I enjoy most of the poems. Your show should really be 90 minutes, at least on Trouble Tuesdays and Open Fridays. I've been listening long enough to know you have saved a few young people from terrible situations and helped many others with all kinds of problems. You're someone I've been in bed with you at 10 for years now and enjoyed every minute laughing. Thank you for being you. That's very sweet. I really uh, appreciate that very much. Uh, Re-ghosting. Although, did we talk about ghosting? Problem is when you break up with someone, nobody wants to say why and the other person always wants to Uh, know why Uh, that's true you know people have trouble with uh, telling somebody I'm not attracted to you or whatever it is right you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings and so uh, that's one of the reasons for ghosting it just seems to be the easy kind of the easy way out and then the other person gets no closure and so they're frustrated and it may may take them a a little while to get past it because of uh, of the fact that there is no closure and they have no idea and they're guessing and making up all kinds of stuff in their head. Coming up uh, on passion, we uh, will uh, speak with our LGBTQ panel uh, and uh, talk about gender affirming healthcare as well as LGBT in the media. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Tonight it's our LGBTQ panel. We're actually trying something new tonight, which is kind of fun. Uh, I'm going. I'm on Zoom with my participants, so now we can actually see each other while we're on the radio. Of course, we're only going to hear each other. Through the radio, but you know we're, we're trying to get inventive with all of this since I can't be in studio and we can't have our our people in studio with us. So this is something new. So please bear with us if like we have any you know little glitches or, or what have you. We'll we'll figure it out. Uh, so for our LGBTQ panel, we have Bill Ryan, who is a McGill social work professor, and LGBTQ activist, and a regular on the show. Hey, Bill. Hi. It's so cute. I get to see you, actually yeah, see you, beautiful. and wave to you and talk to you. Uh, we also have Francois Soussette, who's been on the show before. Uh, she's a clinical psychologist specializing in LGBT populations and in particular trans adults uh, teens and their families she's the past president of the canadian professional association for transgender health she's also the co-founder with bill of the institute for sexual minority health hey i'm so happy you're on the program francoise welcome Thank you glad to be here <laughs> that's great so before let's let's keep it light for the beginning here I want to ask you if you got a chance to watch disclosure on Netflix yes I did wasn't it great disclosure is a show on Netflix uh, uh, called the trans lives on screen I particularly appreciated the historical perspective Bill you you're often talking about the history since you've been around a while. <laughs> <laughs> As young as you look, you've been around a while. Um, (laughs) uh, So, right? and Did you watch it in the end?
1: Do you know what? I forgot to. I'm going to have to let you and Françoise talk about it because I totally forgot to.
0: I texted you. I I said, watch the show.
1: (laughs) I got got stuck watching the fall.
0: Oh, my. All right. What did you think of it, Françoise? It was excellent. It was excellent. It actually reminded me in some
2: parts um, of... A documentary that came out many years ago called The Celluloid Closet, which was really about um, representation of gays and lesbians in cinema over, over a long period of time. There were some parallels. But what was very interesting was that the co- disclosure really brings forward the fact that g- the quote-unquote gay liberation movement, um, starting with Stonewall and before Stonewall, actually had a very strong Trans presence, and in fact, uh, the Stonewall Bar, where this whole thing started, was a bar where there were many sex workers, there were many trans women, and there were a lot of gay young gay men. But it was very much of a, a working class, and and very wasn't one of those upscale bars where people just said one night that's enough, and um, and so the trans um, community gets left out. Of um, of their very important contribution um, to the quote unquote gay liberation movement as it was called back right. then and disclosure brings that forward along with many other very important pieces.
0: I think yeah. what I found fascinating is the portrayal in media. So you can see from the very very beginning of film celluloid mm-hmm. film, you see it. Uh, you see them as a. You see the theme, even though. It's a little bit like blackface was back then, you know, when Mm -hmm. they wanted to portray, uh, uh, um, you know, criminals or or what have you. And then you had men dressing up as women to portray the the trans women. But it's so interesting how it was done because it really goes through the entire history of trans portrayal in cinema Mm -hmm. um, and where we're at today because now there's obviously there's a, a big push to have uh, trans actors play trans roles, right? Instead of uh, the straight actors or or cisgendered uh, actors playing a trans person. Right.
2: And I think some of that is is important because you want to strike the right note. And Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately that's been very difficult to achieve. And what we see in uh, disclosure is um, what this, uh, insistence on having trans actors represent themselves or represent trans um, characters is that it actually now has a, a note of authenticity but yes. also goes much further we're, we're, we're in much more complexity of course uh, right. so I I you know I think part of that is also just uh, the the lack of understanding of all the different layers that a cis or cisgender actor would have. And it's also a matter of, of giving a trans people a voice right. uh, in their own, telling their own stories or stories that concern them.
0: Right. And um, it's very interesting. I, I was surprised at how many trans actors there actually were. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. really, you, you get to see them all and say, oh, I didn't even know that person was trans. You know, That's right. And
2: that's, that's actually one of the interesting differences, when you're talking about uh, sexual orientation, you're talking about gay and lesbian bisexual um, uh, individuals, generally people will manifest their sexual orientation through the kinds of relationships that they form. Of course, that's not always the case for bisexual people that are largely invisible, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Bill's addressed that question uh, on your show before. Um, For trans folks, I mean, for sure you'll hear Trans activists and people who are in the forefront will be very open about being trans, but most, we have to understand that many people don't transition to be visible as trans individuals. Right. They're transitioning to be visible as themselves, and themselves is not necessarily the trans piece.
0: Exactly. So,
2: one of the things that we're seeing um, in this great LGBT um, uh, community is that oftentimes um, gay, and lesbian, bisexual people, Uh, I won't say pansexual people, because pan people, by definition, have a connection with gender diversity as partners, so there's an understanding there, but certainly for LGB folks, it's an understanding that revealing that somebody is trans is not okay, ever, and this isn't about somebody being ashamed of who they are, or of their gender identity, or the fact that they transition, but contrary to sexual orientation, where you learn something more about the person that actually adds a layer of of okay, I get to know this person better. Learning this about trans folks actually tends to remove uh, something of their identity. Oh, mm. oh, and it usually gets expressed in this very awkward formulation mm. of oh, you used to be a woman or right. you used to be a man. It's like no, actually. This person was never a man, never a woman. But what you're doing is you're stripping away their current right. identity Interesting. Um, in revealing that they're trans. So I think that's one of the things that's really important for people to understand. And I think for gay and lesbian people who've struggled so much f- with coming out and being proud of who they are, there's sometimes a misunderstanding that for trans folks that's not exactly how it gets articulated.
0: Right, which I guess is different for those in the media who want to – want to be identified so that they get those roles rather than. Right. But I
2: think also they're carrying that, uh, I would say sometimes burden of visibility uh, in order to change things. Right. right? Um, Right. In order to say, well, you know, the fact that you had no idea that I was trans, um, that's okay. Right. And now I'm telling you, but um, it's, It's also to make a point, but you will have had many actors who were trans throughout the history of cinema. Of course,
0: of course. That you wouldn't know. That's right. That's a good point. And and again, I guess this goes to the activism too, right? When Bill, when you talk about exposing, um, like being, you know, being an activist, you're exposing yourself. You're not. You don't. You're not necessarily trying to. disappear or blend in or be invisible you act it's a way to help the community it's a way to to give the community a voice which i think is really important bill
1: yeah and i think too it's a question of privilege it takes a certain amount of privilege to be able to be out invisible Mm -hmm. and those of us that are able to use our privilege to be out invisible i think it's important when we can that we are right um you know because being out at least in the LGB context, is the most significant um, factor in changing people's attitudes,
0: right? Right. Yeah. Uh, So one of the other, a couple of other shows that um, you also should watch, which I thought was, uh, did you watch The Old Guard? On Netflix, you don't watch enough TV, Bill. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Uh, So there's a a new action movie with uh, Charlize Theron. It's called The Old Guard. Basically, it Mm -hmm. it um, it's about a bunch of uh, 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 what do you call? They're immortals, but they go around like um, fighting for causes and things like that. But there's (laughs) a very there's two characters in there that have a beautiful uh, relationship through millennia, like they have had a, 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 a love relationship. Two guys, two main characters in there, and there's a like a really powerful scene in there um, where they're tr- basically trying to teach these guards whatever uh, ab- about uh, their their love. And one of them, so they, these two guys get captured. And then, uh, and one kisses the other, and he goes, what are you, gay? And then, you know, he responds to him like, you're a child, an infant. Your mocking is thus infantile. He's not my boyfriend. This man is more to me than you can dream. He's the moon when I'm lost in darkness and warmth when I shiver in cold. And his kiss still thrills me even after a millennia. And it, it, like the most beautiful romantic scenes uh, between these two men. Did you memorize that, Lori? Really well done. What?
1: Did you memorize that?
0: No, I had it written down. (laughs) (laughs) But it was that, but it was, it caught you. It was really quite beautiful. And then Mm -hmm. there was another one called Straight Up. Anyway, that's the media. We'll talk about uh, coming up. I want to talk about gender-affirming health care and what that looks like here in the U.S. because there's some some issues that have come up in the U.S., but also some good things uh, that are happening. from the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak. You're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Tonight it's our LGBTQ panel. Uh, we do this uh, once a month talking about LGBTQ issues because it's important. That we give a voice to all communities Uh, bill ryan is here he's a mcgill uh, social work professor and lgbtq activist and co-founder of the institute for sexual minority health along with francois sucette who's a clinical psychologist specializing in lgbt populations uh, works with trans adults teens and their families okay you're gonna like this uh, this text here and i want you both to respond to this I have to disagree. Biologically, there are only two genders of humans on this planet, male and female. All the surgeries and modifications will not change the fact. Males have a Y chromosome in their DNA and females do not. Females have two X chromosomes and males have only one. This is a medical fact and no technology can change this. Stating another gender is incorrect. Go. (laughs) Who wants to take that one on? Bill, you go.
1: This is François Stanleywick.
0: <laughs> François, go for it. I see your expression. <laughs> well, so it's it's
2: um it's interesting, you know. Uh, part of the confusion comes from the fact that that people don't necessarily consider biological reality and gender identity as two separate things. Uh, there are two separate parts of who we are. And, you know, part of that is that if you've never experienced any kind of conflict between the, the gender you were assigned at birth because of what was appearing when you were born in terms of your genital configuration, if you've never had any conflict between that gender assigned at birth and the gender you actually are, then you sort of think there is no such thing as gender identity. But for people for whom there's some level of disparity, incongruence, between the gender they were assigned at birth, based on their biology, and the gender they experience, they know that there's, there's actually a difference between the two. So what's very interesting is that this idea that gender identity exists as a separate part of who we are, comes from a, a, a rather sad and dark story um, that uh, occurred in the 50s. In the 50s, a set of twins, identical twins who were born, two boys and um due to a medical error um during circumcision this was in the u.s where most Mm -hmm. uh, boys are practically automatically circumcised this is a hospital circumcision um one of the boys penises was burnt off along comes um a psychiatrist john money who says well it's not a problem we'll just raise him as a girl and so this uh child as an infant, went through numerous surgeries to modify the uh, the genitals. And um, this whole experiment, because it really was an experiment, was based on the idea of not telling the child. Of course, the only way this could succeed is the child didn't know their story. Right. So they were supposedly, quote-unquote, raised as a girl. Um, John Money was discredited because his study... Um, his reports all along the way, this is a longitudinal study, uh, were, were, were not accurate. And he was reporting that this child was adapting perfectly well, and they were raised as a girl and, and very happy to be a girl. And it wasn't the case. Um, at puberty, of course, this child was not going to produce uh, female hormones, estrogen, so had to start estrogen treatment. Um, exogenous treatments and um, had uh, several crises as a result with several suicide attempts to the point where the mother actually told him what had happened. And from that point on, he started to reverse the process and live his life as a boy and start to get, of course, testosterone treatments because that part of his body had been removed mm-hmm. as an infant. So the story has a, an unhappy ending where the this young man... Uh, in his 20s, uh, eventually committed suicide. So this was a a rather dark moment in history, but certainly showed us that we cannot manipulate somebody's gender identity, that it is a separate entity from the biological reality. In this case, they were aligned, but we tried to manipulate the the child's Mm -hmm. gender identity. It is fixed. So I see young children, you're not talking about the fact that I actually, most of my practice right now, is, is talking to parents of very young children. Okay. And, you know, we, we will often talk about the fact that, well, you know, children are too too young to know what they want. Adolescents are too young to know what they want to take hormones or have surgeries. But, you know, gender identity is a part of us that we actually um, become aware of as something that's fixed in us somewhere around age five or six when we hit the, the developmental phase of gender cost, mm-hmm. me, of gender constancy right. so in gender constancy we start to understand that whether we wear pink or blue we, whether we play with the soccer ball or the doll that doesn't change our gender that's why we also see at that point that children start becoming slowly but surely a little bit more flexible in terms of their gender expression or gender roles right. or gender interests so actually gender identity is something that gets that gets pretty much settled by the age of five or six or seven and in most children, including gender-diverse children, they're not different. Just like we talk about sexual orientation, declaring itself for all youth pretty much on average at the beginning of puberty. Mm-hmm. If we start to talk to kids about gender diversity, what we're going to see is that the kids that we're seeing later on as adults will start seeing younger and younger. And that's in fact what's happening. Right,
0: right. And many, of course, when you see them as adults, and you do a history on them, even though they weren't identified young, they will say that they started, you know, the the behaviors and feeling different and feeling this at around five or six years old. So for many, yes. yeah, absolutely, many.
2: absolutely.
0: So again, uh, you know, another texter says the last texter is right. You're either male or female. The rest, this is funny, is all hocus pocus, make believe li- liberalism nonsense.
2: Yeah. So the idea also that this is a new phenomenon needs to be addressed because if you look at this historically, trans people, gender diverse people have always existed. Exactly. And they've been they've been part of our story um, uh, across the planet. So uh, you know, in in just in the Americas, we have over three hundred. Um, uh, indigenous communities where that gender diversity gender was multiplied in either by three or four or five or six and what was interesting is is that in in these communities gender was not determined by looking at somebody at a baby's genitals genitals at birth it was determined by observing the child's development in the first 10-12 years of their life Mm -hmm. and and analyzing their dreams um, consulting the elders and it was it was officialized not by looking at the body parts, but to a ceremony where a wardrobe was an appropriate wardrobe was given hmm. to that person. And that was the way to determine somebody's gender identity. Right. This is a, this, so, so it, it, they, and throughout the planet, this in communities where, um, Colonization has not occurred or not not had such a heavy weight. We find this diversity, whether it be Hawaii and Thailand and Samoa, they're in, in so many cultures. Right, Bill?
1: Um, just in response to the two texters, that outside of Western civilization and modern times, we are actually in the minority considering that humans should or could be limited within this. François said, from a more anthropological point of view, is actually the, the contrary that multiple right. genders and multiple ways of expressing gender have existed throughout human history. Right. Um, and and we, we sometimes look at everything through the lens that we're experiencing, what we were brought up with. But if you look at it more broadly from an anthropological perspective, um, <clears throat> seeing humans as being not confined to two genders is what
0: is what would be the norm. Right. All right. Uh, well, coming up, we'll talk about healthcare in the states. Uh, people are being refused treatment if you are uh, if you're trans. I'm just wondering what the healthcare system looks like here in terms of gender affirmation or gender or care for uh, particular populations. Uh- With Dr. Lori Batido on CJAD 800. Excited to have with us our panelists, our LGBTQ panelists, Francois Sussett, clinical psychologist who specializes in LGBT populations, and Bill Ryan, our regular who is a McGill social work professor and LGBT activist. Uh, There's so much to talk about every month that uh, it's hard to get to to all of it. And I wanted to get to Pride, but maybe we'll leave that. We'll do a show during Pride week, which is uh, Pride Montreal is August 10th to the 16th. So uh, just mark that down for for yourself, Bill. Um, But I wanna talk about um, healthcare. In the States, it's very difficult, right? The, I just was reading, uh, for example, the University of Maryland uh, St. Joseph Medical Center is being sued after revu- refusing to treat a transgender man. The facility says it follows the ethical and religious directives for Catholic health care services that were drawn up by church officials. So it's owned by the church, this uh, this hospital, and, and they are uh, allowed to... Um, well, I don't know if they're allowed, but they are refusing, uh, they were, they refused a a person for, um, a hysterectomy. And who, a trans they, man. A yeah. trans man. Yeah. yeah. So uh, this was, um, you know, obviously that they're, they're being sued for violation of, of first and fourth amendment constitutional rights under the Affordable Care Act, but they're you know, the other ones are saying, but from a religious point of view, they're allowed to not treat. And then we we had talked about this also during COVID, where they had a, set up an, a, a tent hospital. Uh, also by a religious community who had said the same thing that yes, they wouldn't uh, allow
1: gay and lesbian people to work there. They had to sign an agreement right. saying that they were against same-sex marriage and homosexuality before exactly. they be employed.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So that leads us to gender-affirming um, health care, which maybe you you could uh, maybe you could define exactly. But mm-hmm. there was a story in Oregon, and apparently they rank. Uh, really highly, uh, for its gender affirming policies and healthcare for transgender women. Many of those policies though, not fully realized in practice, but the it's there, right? It's, it's like Oregon, people are, are going to Oregon who are, uh, who are, uh, trans individuals are going there because they're much more open and, um, affirming. No. So what is it like <laughs> in Montreal?
2: Well, just uh, just to go back to what you were saying, the, the idea of a Catholic hospital refusing care um, is is whether it's for LGBT folks or you know the the, the morning after pill mm, or whatever. Right. It's it's part of a much larger issue of um, of you know the, the, the hospitals and medical personnel having the right to refuse uh, uh, on the basis of religion, and that that's. That's a very uniquely American situation mm. right now, which is not getting any better. If I want to talk about Montreal, uh, you know, our greatest hurdle, trans-affirmative care or gender-affirmative care, refers to an approach that actually recognizes that gender identity exists, that it is something that we all have. And for some of us, there's some degree of, of um, incongruence sometimes between the gender we were assigned at birth and our true gender. And, uh, and, and also, I think the fundamental idea of trans-affirmative care is to believe the person. So I'm a specialist in, in trans health. I have absolutely no way of confirming or, or identifying somebody's gender identity. Mm-hmm. That's not my job. That's not my role. Um, the same way that I can't determine somebody's um, sexual orientation, right? That's not our role. We clear the path for people to be able to come to themselves, to be able to um, answer their own questions, but most of the people I see already have that answer, uh, already have that answer and come to see me because they need support me and and many of my colleagues because they need support for transition-related services. Transaffirmative care means that we believe the clients that come to see us, that we have an informed consent approach. And that we respect people's right to self-determination. So that yes. means that my job becomes looking at their um, their life to see what might be, where the supports might be, and what might be some of the challenges in their transition uh, process. Now, transition is a very broad term, and it means something different to each person. Right. So transition for some people will be limited to socially transitioning, so Saying to people, well, you think that I'm, you know, you've you've called me Julie my whole life, but actually, um, I identify as male or identify as non-binary, and my name is. I would prefer right now, at mm-hmm. this point in my life, that you respect that by using these pronouns and this uh, this first name. So um, that's a social transition, and it can be quite arduous, quite um, uh, quite challenging. Uh, you know, we talked about trans visibility in, in movies, et cetera. But what we're also seeing is a huge backlash. So the level of violence that's directed at trans and non-binary individuals is actually quite, quite uh, a, a concern. Um, we're not talking about only beatings. We're talking about murders and very violent murders. So trans women, trans women of color in particular, talk about trans misogyny, right? So the, the, the coming together intersectionally, of misogyny and trans and uh, biPOC uh, issues, so people of color and, and um, Black Indigenous individuals who are at, at, more, at much more risk than uh, than other people in the trans community, for example. So, so we're seeing this, this this backlash of violence. We're seeing also a backlash in the media of of not believing, right? Of of right. of doubting the um the word of trans folks and 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 you know and here we are um three of us um and laurie i'm not going to presume anything about you but um you know we certainly uh, um i'm cis i'm cisgender i'm not trans um i know bill i know he's not trans i just outed you as not trans uh (laughs) and laurie and 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 we're still not including right so so we're still not including the people whose voice i rely on right so so transaffirmative care is also understanding that my, uh, my expertise, my knowledge comes, uh, comes first and foremost from the people who are living the experience. Agreed. I Agreed. think for gay and lesbian issues at this point, we would, we would feel really strange about having a panel on gay and lesbian, LGB issues and no LGB people there. Um, so right. I think that that the next step is to say, well, you know, where when do we have the trans people come and speak from their own voice? Just, so that's trans affirmative care is really understanding right.
0: that 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 that's the voice right. that we well, respect. I want to add uh, Françoise, that on our panel, we regularly did have trans voices, so um, it's just now with all of this, we're only allowed. You know, we can only have two people at a time. It's a little more difficult. Uh-huh. But but I, but it's a Great. reminder to me that we should uh, seek out the, the the voices rather than speak for them, because I know we all work in the field and helping uh, people. Um, who, you know, helping them through their their support, through support and transition and, and all of that. I've done that work for many years as well. So yes, it's, uh, it's their voices. Now, somebody else just said, talking about um, believing, somebody says, I read that Bruce Caitlyn Jenner was diagnosed by seven of the top psychologists that he is or was suffering from delusional disorder until he ran into number eight who saw a cash cow. At one time he thought he should have been a dog, delusional enough to go on Jerry Springer and got lambasted. Now, again, Uh, that's making, you know, that's not hearing the voices. And that may be that not all uh, psychologists are familiar or.
2: uh, Well, I'd like to see the source of that information because I've never
0: seen anything like this. So first of all, you know,
2: I I would, I would question where this information comes from. Um, you know, trans people have been accused of being, or accused, have been seen as delusional exactly. because it's so hard for us to understand that there's this diversity um, and to say, well, maybe it's not delusional, maybe it is a fact that there is a, a complexity in gender in gender Great. identities. So, uh, Bruce Jenner, I mean, Caitlyn Jenner is someone who in front of the whole world um, uh, affirmed their uh, true gender identity and um, whether we agree with Caitlyn Jenner's politics or whatever, that has
0: nothing to do with it. <laughs> she deserves, she deserves our
2: compassion. Absolutely, um, because you know, because, because when a public figure transitions, um, it's, it, it, it really is quite a big deal.
0: Yeah, and they open themselves up for so much scrutiny and criticism and ridicule. Yes. and all kinds of stuff. but
2: Well, what was interesting, you know, because she was on the cover of Vanity Fair, uh, Annie Leibovitz did this amazing yeah, beautiful, um, photo shoot, uh, right? Add, and she was yes. on the cover of Vanity Fair in this very silky gown uh, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, and what was interesting was the comments, right? Oh, oh, she should, you know, why is she... Uh, playing into you know people's idea of women as sexual objects and I thought you know 45 years of vanity Fair covers where most of the time it's a scantily dressed cisgender woman and that's okay yeah that's okay but this woman (laughs) right her femininity is up for for criticism oh man trans women can't win. I mean if they if yeah, they if they're can't. not presenting that way and for many many decades if they weren't presenting that way, they weren't allowed access to transition related services. It's exactly. like you're not a you're not enough of a woman. <laughs>
0: so I mean they the can't win. Yeah, nope. it, it is. There's so much more to say and I hope you will be back with us at some point to to talk about it. maybe we'll have a, a panelist who can actually share their their real life experiences and and, and maybe this will sensitize our pub the public as well as what it is to actually feel this. We work in it, so we see it. We can see the suffering. But, you know, to, to transmit that information so that people really understand is a, probably a bit more difficult. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Francoise, if somebody needs to get in touch with you, if they have issues or family, things that they need to reach you about
2: absolutely but i also want to say that on the site of ismh and resources i have a list of about 110 oh, providers that i've trained also there's there's for professionals who might be listening there's two trainings coming up this fall one in french dealing with
0: kids and youth and one in english later in the fall Wonderful. if people want to
2: get training professionals want to get training so
0: that is uh, at the institute for sexual minority health yeah website thank you so much and you can find bill there as well or at mcgill i wish we had more time thank you so much Take care, you guys. It was great great to see you on Zoom as well. Uh, Thanks to Chris Akins, our technical producer, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. Coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening, and remember to live your life with passion.